I'm Harry. I'm Nash. And this week we're going all the way from the 25th to the 31st of December. And we're going about it in a slightly different way. Isn't that right, Harry? We are. So we're not going to do our short little five-minute stint. We're going to do a nice long 30, maybe even 35 minutes of pure history knowledge. A big boy podcast, as they say. <laughs> we've, we've progressed from kindergarten. We've made it to year K and we're excited to be here. We've ABC. Yeah. Hey, mum. We made it. We so, did. <laughs> all jokes aside, we are actually going to dive deep into not five, but two specific topics. And we're each going to, you know, recall each other with this historical tale. Yeah. Get a bit, get a bit more of a taste. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to leave you dry with the fast facts. We still have some good stuff to tell you at the very end of the podcast where we'll, we'll shout out about maybe five facts that have happened this week in history, 25th to the 31st of December. That's right. So Harry, what are you diving deep into? What are you exploring this week? Great question. It's actually the creation of Kwanzaa. You know, everyone's favorite Christmas holiday. Um, wouldn't that just be Christmas? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> it's in your top five that happens in that period of the year. And Kwanzaa is, is a very interesting holiday. I'm going to tell you more about it a bit later. But Nash, what are you going to speak about? So this week in history saw Spain return to democracy for not the first, but the second time. Well, that's exciting. Why did it go out? You know what? Don't tell me. I want to listen to this podcast. I want to find out why. Yeah. Well, let us take you back to a time before you were born. <sighs> December 26, 1966, the creation of Kwanzaa. Mm. Now, do you know anything about Kwanzaa at all, whatsoever, um, even I, slightly? Look, for the longest time, I had assumed that Kwanzaa was created by the Simpsons. You know, it's like, funny. That's also where I first heard of Kwanzaa. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that we celebrate <laughs> here in Australia, is it? So, Well... Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. But, you know, it's, it's not really known. bring back Kwanzaa or reintroduce Kwanzaa or introduce Kwanzaa, I should say, to Australia. Is that, is that what you're trying to do here? I mean, it's possible. It, it okay. may be my underlying message. But I want to speak about what Kwanzaa is, but first, how it came to be. Yeah, right. So we're heading to 1965 in America, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of civil unrest happening between the African-Americans and the white population, essentially. Yeah, right. It's unpleasant. Okay. There's a lot of segregation, laws that aren't so happy, massacres of African-American people. Not things that you want on a day-to-day -day basis, I would say. No. Not things a, that you yeah. actively try to avoid. Like, if you saw massacres on the street, you'd kind of, you'd stop, you'd look and you'd run away. You wouldn't engage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I wouldn't participate in the massacre. Yeah, no. that's what, exactly or, what I'm saying. No. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. So essentially in 1965, it's a bad time. And this, and this man called Maluana Karinga. Ever heard of him? Surely. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, he was the guy who created Boxing Day, right? No, he's the founder of the US organization, oh, which okay. in turn created Kwanzaa. So essentially in 1965, he realized, hey, not a lot of th good things are happening for African-Americans. Let's try and unite our, our heritage and our population together instead of all the conflict that's tearing us apart. Yeah, so right. he created this organization called Us. But then in 1966, he was like, you know what? We need something big. We need something co to commemorate our heritage, remind us of why we should all band together as human beings with African heritage. And <laughs> well, I mean, if you're talking about it strictly in a genealogical sense, we are all human beings with African heritage. I mean, that's where we all 
It's the cradle of life from which we all sprang. Well, I mean, really, there was just one country at the beginning, so I don't think, you know, there's a lot of differentiation. <laughs> I say Patagonia, but that's the power of marketing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's no, Gondwana it's not, or something? It's, I think it's Gondwana land. Yeah, Gondwana land. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. Anyway. <laughs> Patago- yeah, we're all from Patagonia. We're all from Patagonia and also Anaconda. I don't know if you guys have ever done the Kathmandu holiday, but it's great. Yeah, yeah. They are all the outdoor adventure places that I know of. I'm, I'm done. Uh, yeah I, I anyway know. Kwanzaa so where so where's this name Kwanzaa even come from then it sounds like a made up name for a made up festival does it have okay, any sort well, of well it's not made up okay. it's a Swahili word for first fruits and obviously everyone knows that yeah right okay sorry sorry everyone <laughs> um, so, <laughs> essentially Kwanzaa is a harvest festival that runs from the 26th of December to the 1st of January it's a right. seven night extravaganza of fruit and unity and happiness and the bringing together of a culture and that culture being African-Americans. Okay, cool. What's interesting though, is that Kwanzaa actually has seven nights, very close to Hanukkah, which is the Jewish's, I guess, version of Christmas, but without the presents and more guilt. And <laughs> I thought you'd get presents on Hanukkah. Well, we get like chocolate so and like fatty food. I think you guys do. Diabetes, <laughs> is that a present? <laughs> I'll choose not to have it, but, but essentially, I probably got it already. You probably do, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a seven-night festival, right? Okay. And they actually, each night, they come together and they acknowledge a different principle. There's seven principles. And they light a candle holder and seven different candles, similar to, as we mentioned before, Hanukkah, which is eight days, eight candles. This is seven nights, seven candles, but it's, a, it's quite different. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't think Hanukkah really acknowledges like your African roots and heritage. Probably not so much. Yeah, probably not so much. More yeah. about like, you know, the Greeks stealing the oil from the Jews. Those oily Greeks, huh? Yeah, seriously, oily <laughs> Greeks. So, there's seven principles. And the first principle is unity, which of course is the whole point of the festival. So, you know, it's bringing together family, community, nations, and race. You know, trying to get everyone involved. Um, the next principle is, I'm not going to say their traditional names because I'm just not that linguistically inclined. Good. Nor seek to be. No, not at all. Don't even know English that <laughs> Neither good. Neither do I. I mean, look, the only sort of ethnically ambiguous name that I can pronounce is my own. That's true. And can you pronounce it for us? Because I sure can't. Nyokuingama. And even then, there we go. It's, I'm probably getting it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, the so second, the second one, principle, what is second it? Second principle is self-determination. So, you know, defining ourselves, creating our identity, speaking for ourselves, you know, being advocates. That's the second one. So, so far, pretty good principles. Pretty happy with this. Okay. The third one is collective work and responsibility, um, building and maintaining a community together. So, you know, it's all about that unity flow. Um, the fourth one is cooperative economics, which is, you know, probably a bit more complex i would say okay you know maintaining your own shops and stores i like and how businesses. this went from being from unity to getting along with each other <laughs> to socialism oh, is that what it was like, well just, you know working together to maintain your shops and you know profitable businesses what if you don't have a shop what do you do help other people's shops buy from their shops buy Boom. from their shops okay. yeah Moving um, on. <laughs> number the five. fifth one is purpose you know making sure that they're all working together to restore the purpose of their tradition and culture uh number six is creativity which is i guess self-explanatory you know expressing yourselves there's often quite a bit of drumming that happens in kwanzaa as well um you know african drumming is quite a popular thing i'm told 
I've definitely listened to it at least once in my life. Perhaps even taken King. a part of it. Yeah, boom. Seen The Lion King. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is based in Africa. Um, and the last one is faith. So believe with all our heart um, in our parents, our teachers, the people around us and our community. Um, so the faith isn't necessarily in some sort of religious icon or savior. It's the no. faith in the community and the heritage. Well, I guess Maluana, who of course created the festival he's essentially a a black jesus although jesus was probably black because he was middle eastern but let's not go into that he's a black jesus (laughs) we're not going into that i thought kanye was black jesus yeah in 2020 maybe but not quite yet so essentially there's these seven principles that guide kwanzaa and each night as you light the candle you reflect on it and kwanzaa isn't just a celebration for african-americans it's now spread to a, a range of different cultures and countries for that matter in 2006 it was said between 12 to 28 million depends on who you trust people they uh they celebrated kwanzaa which is quite a bit but currently in this day and age 12 uh, to 28 that's a huge variation who yeah saying this so, I, don't, I don't trust them one of them was a critic uh, i think he just kind of researched into the, the topic and the other one was of course the founder Maulana. So, um, he, so he's bumping the numbers up. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it looks better on the census and whatnot. Uh, but currently it is declining. Uh, and they said they said that um, Kwanzaa has less of a less of a following because there's kind of the decline of the black power movement. Um, now it's estimated only 1% to 5% of African-Americans actually celebrate Kwanzaa. It's not, yeah. a, whole, not a whole heap. Um, well, look, either, even if people... Uh, even if the number of people celebrating the event each year is declining, that's still a significant achievement to have essentially established a international holiday or a day of a week of observance. Yeah, uh, which of course, are, I know. mean, it does climax the observers on the 31st of December where you have a massive feast and, you know, you bring everyone around, eat the fruits of your labor and have just like a lot of fruit, nuts, delicious foods. But yeah, I guess... I guess it, it is dwindling at the moment. And I guess this is our shout out to people and say, hey, get on Kwanzaa. Christmas finishes. What do you want to do the next day? Hell, have another festival. <laughs> festival of Kwanzaa. <laughs> you can join the likes of, get this, Stevie Wonder, when he was alive. He was a Kwanzaa participant. Yeah. yeah. Um, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. She celebrates it. I'm not so sure now with her split from Brad, whether or not they still celebrate it together. Okay. But that's definitely a thing. And most recently, as of, I think it was even last year, Jamie Foxx sent a tweet saying, you know, happy Kwanzaa. <laughs> celebrating what is seven days of harvesting joy. Hang on a second. If people are celebrating Kwanzaa and they're not African-American, isn't that cultural appropriation? Should they not be doing that, please? Can people that are not Christian celebrate Christmas? No. Fair call. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I guess, I guess it is cultural appropriation. If you want, we can hunt down all the people that are not African American that are celebrating Kwanzaa. No, and no that's fine. Appropriate what you want. Them? I think it's the more the merrier. Um, no, that is definitely not a. That is definitely not what "Before You Were Born" stands for. I'm gonna just veto that one. Um, but it, look, it is a very, it is a very interesting festival because I think a lot of people think that it's a religious day, and it's not. It's a, it's a week of joyous festivity that brings unity and recognizes heritage of African Americans, um, and it's I reckon pretty fun. You eat fruit, you eat some corn, you light candles on fire, so you get to play with fire, and you know the most fun, of course, is reflect. Because reflection is the most important part of our daily lives. That's right. Harry um, spends hours of the day staring at himself in the mirror. Hours. Hours and hours. Not necessarily reflecting, just being like, wow, that is an unattractive (laughs) human being. (laughs) 
So from the 26th straight to the 27th of December, this time in 1978. This is the day that Spain returns to democracy after almost 40 years of authoritarian rule. Now, you mentioned this a bit earlier, but this isn't the first time they've done this. No, it isn't actually. So Spain throughout the 19th century was really turbulent and all the way through into the 20th century as well. Still is. Still is. What happened with Catalonia, am I right? Yeah, still going, right? So essentially, Spain's system of government has gone back and forth between monarchies and republics, right? Mm. The Second Republic of Spain came after the Spanish Empire was starting to crumble. So at the end of the 19th century, you had the Spanish-American Wars where Mm. Spain's empire, the last sort of vestiges of its influence across the world fell yeah so this is primarily in south america i'm assuming yeah so the the spanish-american war was really about who owned cuba but it also resulted in the spain losing the philippines guam and puerto rico they had the philippines yeah so do they speak spanish (laughs) in the philippines spanish is the official language in 20 countries across the world oh wow yeah that's a decent percentage when you think there's like 197 countries. Yeah, it's, it's, it's solid, right? Yeah. So at the end of the 19th century, that is really coming to an end. And as a result, people in Spain don't want to have a monarchy anymore. And so they switch over to a republic. And um, that doesn't come easily, right? <laughs> no, I presume that would not be an easy thing. Any sort of government change is never an easy task. So in 1931, the Second Republic is claimed and the monarch, his name is Alfonso XIII. Oh, yeah, what right. an Alfonso. He's my third favourite Alfonso, actually. Oh, yeah? Behind the eighth and the second. Fair enough, me too, actually. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So Alfonso, he is exiled, he gets out of there, and it's a republic again. Now, the republic, all's not well with the republic, okay? So essentially, you have two factions. You have the left and the right and in this case those are the only two factions really it's like right or left well we're painting with broad strokes here okay yeah the left and the right and in this case the second republic you have the left in power in the government and they okay. want to bring forth all these social reforms to take spain out of the dark ages of the 19th century and into the you know the brilliant 20th century right they want to have liberalism they want to have equality for women uh, you know um, uh, suffrage really rev- revolutionary things, revolutionary stuff which will kind of stock standard in most countries uh, well, western well, countries now <laughs> yeah nowadays <laughs> um but the point is that didn't go to plan because you know what they were hit with a little thing called the great depression right oh, so i heard that wasn't so fun it wasn't so fun so essentially this stalled the progression of their society mm. so then you have a right-wing government come into power because a whole bunch of upset lefties didn't vote their old government back in and they didn't get a result that they liked they had a right-wing government in power again in 1934 then you have another election in 1936 and it brings the left back into power in the republic it goes back and forth and back and forth please just have a monarch already but really importantly here this third leftist government right Hmm. they win by a narrow margin and they're called the uh, leftist united front okay they not win very by united very, they? Uni- <laughs> very yeah, narrow front win by a margin like that's well yeah know. the divide between left and right is very 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 narrow right so they win by a narrow margin and this it doesn't bode well with the right so who is the right the right are people who are actually monarchists they are nationalists they mm. are my type of people. religious conservatives oh. 
the best. Yeah. And crucially, the military in Spain has sympathy for the right, and they start a military coup on July 18th of 1936. Oh, jeez. You just knew that was going to happen. Yeah. So it was so like, good. checkmate. We know that <laughs> the rook is going to move to E7. Yeah. So this sparks Spain's three-year-long civil war. So the leader of the nationalist all these guys were getting killed in the in the start of the civil war which left a power vacuum for one guy called francisco franco to fill please tell me he's a monarch well that's actually really interesting we'll get to that we'll okay. get to that oh i'm excited <laughs> we'll get i to love that. me some monarchs so francisco franco he leads the nationalists to victory he essentially okay. wins the civil war for them good job yeah well done well no, it doesn't it comes at a cost it comes at a cost Hundreds of thousands of people are killed during the Spanish Civil War. But he won. So really, all's well that ends well. Well, the deaths continued. Okay, good. <laughs> into the, About five to ten years into his reign, there were tens of thousands of people who were rounded up, prisoned, or, and killed if they had sympathies with Republicans, uh, sympathies with the leftists, or if they expressed any such views themselves. Franco was a military dictator in the most authoritarian sense of the word he seems like a bad guy i don't like him now i initially was like yeah good job now i don't think we're friends yeah not so great so uh not only that he had some pretty shady friends as well at this time 1939 that's the start of the second world war it is indeed spain doesn't really get involved in the second world war in any really significant way because they've only picked themselves up out of the civil war they're still licking their wounds but they've who got, supported they've the got right? their own problems let's let's be honest yeah. here it sounds like a pretty dire situation in spain but who supported the right during the civil war it was nazi germany oh, and boy. fascist italy as well <laughs> the best the best allies to have yeah well it turns out not so great because the real allies after the second world war they weren't so keen on spain because they had backed the wrong horse as it were yeah Right. Should so, have gone with Farlap. Everyone knows Farlap's a winner. <laughs> Big heart on that guy. Yeah, seriously, or two. Anyway. It's huge. I've seen it. It's like the size of a football. It's enormous. Is it in Canberra? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Best Very nice. Place to be. There we go. So at the end of the Second World War, Spain's left out in the cold. They can't really join the international community. They can't join the UN. They can't join for 10 years after when the scourge of communism raises its head and the West is like, okay, come on, you can join the, uh, the UN. we got bigger we fish to fry now. Let's be real. Now. So can I just clarify? Yeah. So currently this Franco guy is still in charge. Yeah. Not liked by the allied world until no, quite a while after. But not liked, definitely not liked. And a dictator in Spain, but yeah. still sort of like a republic. Well, no, not a republic, because Franco actually, he's aligned with the monarchists, and he actually right. declares Spain a monarchy in 1947, but he doesn't appoint a monarch. He leaves himself as the regent, as the figurehead in charge of the state. So technically, he's not a monarch, but he's in control anyway. I don't think he understands how a monarchy works. <laughs> you need a monarch to have a monarchy. Well, there was the potential to have one, but he's... It's like, just don't worry, I'll take good care <laughs> I of it. I got this, guys. I put my face on the money, I put my face on the stamps, and you can all sing songs about me. It's mm. fine. So, okay. technically, there was no monarchy in place, but he was the regent taking care Right, taking so there was still a, a monarchy country. It was still a, right. a, a monarchy. So, it wasn't until Franco's death in 1975 that the transition from his authoritarian rule to democracy would begin. Now, before he died, Franco actually 
decided that he had to make good on his monarchy promise, and he selected Juan Carlos, the grandson of our friend Alfonso, who got oh, exiled. It all comes right? together. <laughs> it all comes together. Juan, he is selected to be the heir and to take over as the monarch once Franco dies. Now, we glossed over this quite quickly, but yeah. this guy was a dictator for 30 years. I reckon most people do not know this or are not aware of this because I definitely wasn't. I had no idea that Spain had a dictator for 30 years. Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't even realise myself until I started digging into this. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. All right, so they've, got, they've finally got a king. Franco's dead. It's all very exciting. Yeah, they've got a new king and Franco's dead. And it was expected that Juan Carlos was going to continue in the same way as Franco did, but he didn't. Oh, he twist. was an advocate for a constitutional monarchy, the same sort of form of government we have here in Australia, one where you have a monarch, but really it's the people who govern the land. The legislative power exists within the people. So basically he wanted all the money, but didn't want any of the responsibility. So he's like, go guys, I'm just going to be like a figurehead. If you guys just want to pay me heaps of money and then just like rule yourselves, that'd be sweet. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very swift summary of it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's apt though. Actually, that's how it says in my notes here, actually. <laughs> so one Carlos, his contribution to making Spain a democracy again can't be understated. He oversaw the formation of a new constitution for Spain, which was voted upon in a referendum and finally ratified by Juan Carlos, making Spain a democracy again on the 27th of December, 1978. And all's well that ends well, everything is fine in Spain now, boom. Uh, not quite. Not but quite. I actually think <laughs> that after hearing that story, I initially thought that I liked Alfonso, but now I think I'm a bit of a Carlos fan. I'm definitely a Carlos fan. Uh, I think fan. he, he kind of had the right idea. Yeah, I'm definitely a Carlos fan. 110%. He's definitely the least bad dictator they've had. He actually sounds like quite a good guy. He sounds like he almost wasn't a dictator. Yeah, not at all, actually. <laughs> the inverse of a dictator. <laughs> So Nash, one of the exciting things about doing a longer version is that now we can have segments, which is like probably my <laughs> happiest place to ever be um, because I love segments. And well, our Harry's favorite... favorite fruit is mandarins and oranges. He loves the segments. Oh, good one. Do you hear? <laughs> nothing. I heard nothing. No, no applause for that one. But our favorite and only segment that we've ever had is fast facts, which is where we go through some, you know, really fast facts about things that have happened from the 25th to the 31st of December. So Let's without further ado. Adieu? Adieu? I don't know. How do you say it? Adieu? Pagan is there at the wall and it's in the basket! December 26, 1934. The Yomiru Giants, they are formed and they're the first ever Japanese professional baseball team based in Tokyo. Oh yeah, awesome. So wait, hang on. So you're telling me that Japan adopted baseball in the 1930s and then went on to fight America essentially in the Second World War. They did, but I think there's quite a few Asian countries that like baseball. There's Japan, there's South Korea, not North Korea. I mean, maybe. They don't really have TVs or any media in <laughs> North Korea. So we don't know, we no, don't know. Well, no, yeah, no good media. No yeah. good media. Never smile at a crocodile. No, you can't get friendly with a crocodile. Moving on to September 27, 1904. Peter Pan by James Barry opens in London. So, of course, this isn't the film. This is the stage version of Peter Pan. <laughs> definitely, the original, the OG definitely Peter not, Pan. Definitely not the film. And we'll get to why it wasn't the first film soon. But okay. 
1953 was when the Walt Disney movie that we all know and love came out with you know, Captain Hook and Peter Pan and Tinkerbell and it was, it was great. Yeah, yeah, of course. December 28th, 1908. It's the worst European earthquake ever. 7.5 on the Richter scale. Not the worst mm. earthquake ever experienced by Earth. I think that was in Chile and I think it was like 8.2 or something ridiculous. Killed a lot of people. But um, <laughs> this one was still bad. Still bad. Well, I mean, you're not going to make any friends at 7.5, that's for sure. No, definitely not. And I, want to, I, I wonder whether Richter himself was even alive to have measured the earthquake back in 1908 as well. Great question. Question that deserves an answer, but not by me. Yeah, go Google it. Staying on the 28th of December, 1895, this was the day that the Lumiere brothers, the creators of the motion picture, you know, movies as we know it, right? This is the day that they had their first commercial screening of a movie. And the movie, well, wasn't very thrilling. It wasn't going to pack out no. cinemas the same way that very Thor Ragnarok did this year. No, not at no. all. Or yeah. Jurassic Park 21 or however many they're up to. <laughs> it was no. it was of some workers leaving a factory. Yeah, yeah. Not particularly exciting, but I reckon if you've never seen someone on a screen before, you're probably worried about them coming off the screen. That's true, And yeah. like coming into the audience and shaking your hand. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. The Lumiere Brothers, they had another film. It's called Train Rides at a Station. I think we spoke about this before. We have, yeah. People were scared because the train was going to jump out onto them and create a stampede in the I'm audience. I'm still worried about that in real <laughs> it's life. It's a real concern. Yeah. 30th of December, 1922, one of the greatest establishments ever was created. And that is the glorious USSR. That's right. Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, and the Trans-Caucasian Federation, which of course is Georgian, Azerbaijanian and Armenian republics, they all formed together to form the USSR. And what a glorious, glorious revolution that was. Yep, I'll let you... Um, back I'm just going to revel in it some up. more. Yep. <laughs> ah, good times, good times. Um, yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was, it worked out well for them. <laughs> I don't know the ending to the story, but I assume they all lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, that does take us to the end of another week in history. If you like this new extended version of the podcast, let us know. Head to Harry and Nash on Facebook. Otherwise, join us back here next week as we take you to a time before you were born. 